I'm proud to be a Jew, but that's way too Jewish for me. <laughs> Shalom and welcome to the Two Jewish Radio Show with Rabbi Sam Kohan and Friends, a weekly serving of everything Jewish. We'll have a great hour together today of news, music, comedy, and conversation. Our guest on Two Jewish this morning is Lynn Galadner, podcaster and author of the new book, Woman of Valor. We'll also have a visit from our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Please email your comments to us at 2jewishradio18 at gmail.com or visit us on the web at 2jewishradio.com. The opinions of the host and guests on 2Jewish are their own and not those of the radio station. 2Jewish is paid for by 2Jewish radio programs and podcasts, Tucson, Arizona. And now, here's Rabbi Sam Kohan and 2Jewish. Shalom. I've been trying to explain to people recently what it's been like for a congregational rabbi, you know me, active in the Jewish community over the last four weeks. The folks who've asked are religious community colleagues, priests, ministers, Mormon stake bishops and presidents, preachers, and it has been a fascinating challenge to successfully describe that experience. For one thing, I've now delivered four weekly Shabbat sermons since October 7th, and they have been among the most difficult I've ever had to write. As somebody who has firmly believed, and I don't know, maybe still does, that any permanent solution to the Palestinian problem requires that they end up with some kind of a state or two states. Remember, the West Bank and Gaza are separate entities, not contiguous, with very different geographic and population situations. Well, these last four weeks have been extremely painful. The horrific, evil murders, torture, and rape perpetrated by Hamas Palestinian terrorists on October 7th and their glorification of this kind of brutal, extreme violence against civilians, against children, women, men, babies, and the elderly, mark it as one of the worst actions taken by anybody in the past 75 years. While the initial response to that attack was shock and sympathy for Israel and Israelis, at least among civilized human beings, the backlash, including a nearly worldwide celebration of sadistic violence against Jews, going on now on college campuses and in Europe and South America and Africa and, of course, throughout the Arab and Iranian world, is horrifying. Some people now deny that the murder of 1,400 people in Israel took place, in spite of the fact that Hamas posted its sick brutality and videos online while they were committing these crimes against humanity. It is just another demonstration of the virulent anti-Semitism hiding just below the surface of what passes for civilization. Last week was also the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, usually understood as the beginning of the Holocaust. Look, what's happening around the world now is not that, but it isn't great. A lot of this anti-Semitism is coming from the so-called progressive left, which has embraced the cause of Palestinian terrorism. There is some effort made there to distinguish between supporting Hamas a vicious, evil Palestinian terrorist organization of Islamists who use civilians to protect terrorists, hide rocket factories in schools and under hospitals, and build exactly zero bomb shelters for the civilians they pretend to protect before they attack Israel. 
and making a distinction between them and supporting the cause of a Palestinian state or states. But then these people chant from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free, which is just advocating the genocide of Israelis and the destruction of the only Jewish state in the world. So there. I understand logical arguments have limitations in people's minds, and my own will likely fall on deaf ears, but there is nothing progressive about Hamas, which has controlled Gaza for 17 years. Gaza has not been occupied by Israel since 2005. It is not occupied territory. And in consequence of that Israeli unilateral withdrawal back in 2005, and Hamas being elected by the people of Gaza, okay, only one vote in 17 years, but still, I mean, they've never held another election, they voted for Hamas, an area that should have excellent potential for economic success, has instead been turned into a civilian human shield for an underground network of terrorist tunnels larger than the New York subway system. For closing in on two decades, Gaza has been a launching pad for rockets shot at Israeli civilians regularly. Every rocket is a war crime, by the way. Progressives for Gaza? Well, Hamas-controlled Gaza guarantees exactly no civil rights to its inhabitants. Being gay or lesbian there is punishable by death, execution. No one has the right to speak out against Hamas, at least not if they want to stay alive. There have been no elections of any kind, you know, just that one 17 years ago, and corruption is so rampant that it's been calculated that of every NGO and EU aid dollar sent to Gaza, Hamas steals about 80 cents of that to use in its terrorism and to line the pockets of his leaders, who live in luxury in Qatar and the Arab Emirates. How is it possible that people who profess to believe in human rights can support such a regime? Well, I guess since it's a regime that brutally attacks Jews, it must be okay to root for Hamas, right? I don't want to sound too negative or paranoid. Israel is not powerless. This isn't 1942. And while I have seen awful things done and said all around the world against Jews the last month, as anybody can see watching the news, I have also had unsolicited phone calls, emails, and letters of support for Israel and Jews during this same period. There are many people who understand just how cowardly and brutal the Palestinian terrorists are, how corrupt and evil their own regime is and who understand that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. This was an attack on all Western civilization by Hamas. Israel must win this war if civilization is to continue to exist, at least in that part of the world. Still, it has been a rough time. Yes, much worse for those fighting the Palestinian terrorists of Hamas in Gaza, trying to control the Palestinian Hamas terrorists in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, and all of those in Israel enduring air raid warnings, school closings, relatives and friends dying and being hospitalized, as well as friends and relatives in the military engaged in the fighting. 
I think to some degree our challenge as Jewish leaders is to find a way to continue to celebrate the greatness of Judaism while showing solidarity and support for Israel during this time of profound challenge. This year, Thanksgiving and Hanukkah for Jews will seem different. We will have to figure out how to make both holidays meaningful in a time of war and anti-Semitism. We'll do it, but boy, it's different. To play us in this morning, here's an Israeli song about the old neighborhood, Hashkuna HaYishana by Shalev Rokach. <laughs> Shalev Rokach and his song about the old neighborhood in Israel, Hashkunah HaYeshana. Our guest on Two Jewish this morning is Lynn Galadner, podcaster, publisher, and author of a new novel about a woman who becomes religious, that is, orthodox. It's an interesting and excellent book. Meet her when she joins us in a moment here on Two Jewish. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki tribe. What is the Torah? What's the Talmud? How do Jews celebrate the Sabbath? Why do we start our days at night? How long have Jews been around? What do Jews believe about life after death? What are the major and minor Jewish holidays? What are the life cycle events for a Jew? Why is Israel so important? What is Jewish music? What are the best Jewish foods and why are they so connected to holidays? If you're interested in learning the ins and outs of Judaism, join Rabbi Sam Kohan for this weekly class, Sunday afternoons, 2 to 3.30 p.m. in person and on Zoom. Introductory Judaism is perfect for someone considering becoming Jewish, or coming back to Judaism, or learning about Judaism for the first time, or getting connected to Jews through relationship or marriage. 
Introductory Judaism runs from October to May, each Sunday afternoon. Questions? Call 520-276-5675. That's 520-276-5675. Or register at www.beitsimchatusan.org. We are delighted to welcome to Two Jewish our guests this morning. Lynn Galadner is an author, a podcaster, uh, a writing coach, a publisher, many, many yarmulkes, um, or hats, I should say. Um, her new book is called Woman of Valor. It's a very interesting book. Good morning and welcome to Two Jewish. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So, um, Woman of Valor is really about the process of uh, a secular Jewish woman becoming Orthodox and then many other things uh, and the choices that she makes and the sort of course that she's led on. Um, This is an interesting novel. I, I don't think I've in 21 years of doing Too Jewish, received a novel like this. Um, Tell me about the origins of it. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. And it's nice to hear that I've written something original. You have. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you. Um, So it actually started in 2011, and I was three years out of being Orthodox. I spent a decade in the Orthodox community. Um, I was raised Reform, and I left that kind of observance Um, when I got divorced, but I sort of say I'm just Jewish. I take from all denominations, but not necessarily commit to any one of them. And I wanted to write fiction. I've been wanting to write fiction for a long time. And I had a lot of books out in nonfiction and poetry, but I hadn't really succeeded with fiction. I had written one novel already. I felt like it just needed so much work. And so I started writing about a young woman who became Orthodox, but I wrote about 60 pages and it Stalled, and she basically was whining and lamenting her life. And I didn't know where to take it, so I put it aside. I raised my kids. I had my business. I you know, went forward with all that. And I came back to it 10 years later when I felt like my writing was at a point where I was more serious about fiction and I could maybe pull this off. And I liked the bones of the story, but I really didn't like where it was going. So I redid the whole thing because I feel that there are so many books out there about religious people complaining about being religious or, or, or leaving orthodoxy actually. Exactly. Exactly. And I didn't want to add another one. I don't think that's the majority of the experience. And I wanted to show something beautiful and really lift up the orthodox community, even though I had left it. And so I started um, reimagining the story and I was very deliberate in wanting to create uh, a character who was likable, relatable, and loved being religious in Judaism. I wanted her to have a marriage that was passionate and loving, uh, because I don't know that that's a picture that people get from the Orthodox world. And I wanted her to be firm in her identity and strong as a woman, even when she faced inevitable challenges that people face in every community. And so that's really what drove me to write the novel this way. We will talk much more with Lynn Galadner. Her book is called Woman of Valor. Very interesting book. When we come back here on Two Jewish in just a moment. 
Beit Simcha, the House of Joy, a wonderful Jewish synagogue in the Catalina foothills and northwest Tucson, celebrates a great array of services, classes, and events this fall and winter. Established by passionate, caring congregants and me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, Beit Simcha is a vibrant, vital community that strives every day to serve God with joy. Progressive congregation in northwest Tucson and the foothills, Beit Simcha is open to everyone throughout the Metropolitan area, providing weekly Shabbat services, youth and adult education academy courses, social justice opportunities, outreach, and cultural Jewish programming. Join us in person for Shabbat services, or you can come on Facebook Live. Go to our website, BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org. We welcome members and guests in our sanctuary in person. Call 520-276-5675 for more information. Religious school is going for school-aged children and grandchildren. Come to our fabulous Hebrew school, Barnbot Mitzvah programs, Torah Tykes experience, confirmation and teen programs, all in a fun, relaxed setting with great Jewish learning. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org to sign up. Hanukkah is coming. Celebrate every night with us on our Facebook page, our now traditional menorah lighting songs and stories, or join us, perhaps most importantly, at Beit Simcha for our fifth anniversary celebration on the fourth night of Hanukkah, Sunday, December 10th, lighting the way at 5 p.m. It'll be a fabulous festive evening of food, music, stories, candles, and joy. Beit Simcha's services, classes, and events open to everyone. In person, Friday night, 6.30 p.m. Shabbat services. Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. services. Also, services are available on our Facebook page. All classes, including Torah study, are available on Zoom. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org for information, our Adult Education Academy classes, live and on Zoom. For more information about Beit Simcha to come to services, our great religious school, Torah Tykes programs, Bar and Bat Mitzvah, Confirmation and High School programs, and rich array of Adult Education Academy courses taught live and on Zoom, and all of our services in person and available on Facebook, go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A, Tucson.org, or call 520-276-5675, that's 520-276-5675. Beit Simcha Tucson.org. Join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, the fastest-growing Jewish congregation in all of Southern Arizona. If you have a question, comment, compliment, or criticism, please email us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. That's T-O-O, JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. Or visit our website, 2JewishRadio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through the website, TOOJewishRadio.com. Streaming us from there, downloading us from the Apple iTunes Store is very popular Jewish podcasts. Top 10 in North America, according to Moment Magazine, over 200,000 downloads on Podbean and on Spotify. Post a rating, review to Jewish wherever you listen to us. Those comments help. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. 
We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Rabbi. Well, this has not been a lot of fun the last few weeks, has it? Um, we're seeing a rise in anti-Semitism many places all around the world, uh, including on college campuses all across the United States in particular, in places as far-flung as Australia and various parts of Europe and South America. I'm not sure where to even start. Uh, let's dive in a little bit. Well, I'm not sure this this is actually a rise in anti-Semitism so much as a rise in the visibility of anti-Semitism. I think people are taking off their masks and dropping their cloaks, taking off their disguises. I, I don't necessarily believe that there's been a sharp rise in anti-Semitism in the past few weeks. There's been a sharp rise in anti-Semitic incidents and episodes and chants, and it's been horrifying. And to people with memories of the Holocaust, it is frequently terrifying because they've heard these things before, and they led to a terrible conclusion the last time they heard them. But I think today is different for several reasons. Well, I mean, in one sense, look, um, as we were talking before we came on, this is not the Shoah, right? It's not the Holocaust, as terrible as what happened was. And it is horrifying. I mean, horrific. It's not the same thing, but it's not good. Right. So, you know, just to detail some of the incidents, there have been synagogue burnings. There have been attacks on Jewish persons. There have been mobs of students chanting, Israel, Israel, you can't hide. We want Jewish genocide. On, on, on my alma mater's campus, UCLA, which right. is usually a pretty mellow place. And that's a particularly horrifying text because it drops any pretext of being criticism of the Israeli government or certain actions or statements of the Israeli government and says clearly what's on the minds of a lot of people. We want Jewish genocide. We want to kill all the Jews. There have been people all around the world saying Hitler should have finished the job. Hitler was right. He just didn't go far enough. And those echoes of the past scare people and lead them to confuse current events with the Holocaust. Now, having said that, there's no doubt that this is not just anti-Israel or in support of Palestinians. There's anti-Semitism all through this. Right. And it's a primitive and persistent 
and virulent form of hatred, prejudice, racism, whatever you want to call it. There are many people in the world who view Jews as being a race and not a religious group. But as you pointed out before we were on the air, Americans have a tendency to root for the underdog. And through very skillful public relations and marketing, the Palestinians and Hamas and Hezbollah, all these groups have convinced much of the world that they're the underdogs and that we should therefore root for them. And Israel, I've said this before, seems to have given up on the whole Hasbara propaganda process. Public relations, maybe. Back after in the days after the Six-Day War. I mean, they, they really have withdrawn from that whole sphere. So under Netanyahu and with all the charges of corruption and the judicial coup and all that, the image of Israel has probably never been as low as it is in the wide world. And because of skillful and persistent marketing, the image of the poor downtrodden Palestinians has probably never been as high. So you have a lot of people. Even after perpetrating one of the most horrific acts of brutal terrorism and vicious sadism in recent history. Right. But tragically, there's a lot of people in the world who claim that was justified. What can you expect after decades of Israeli behavior, colon, and then a bunch of ticks, some of which are actually true, some are, of which aren't? Yeah. It, it's funny how in lies there's always some element of truth. Right. Um, Tom, so let's come back to this. Let's come back to it next week. We'll talk about it. It's time now for our old Jewish joke of the week. Jewish humor your Bubby and Zadie knew brought to you by Two Jewish as a public service. Back in the days when the samurai were the elite warriors of Japan, there was a powerful emperor who needed a new chief samurai. He sent out a declaration throughout the land that he was searching for one, and three samurai showed up. A Japanese samurai, a Chinese samurai, and a Jewish samurai. The emperor asked the Japanese samurai to come in and demonstrate why he should be the new chief samurai. The Japanese samurai opened a matchbox, and out popped a bumblebee, Whoosh! When his sword and the bumblebee dropped dead on the ground in two pieces. The emperor exclaimed, that is impressive. Then the Chinese samurai came in to demonstrate why he should be chosen. Chinese samurai also opened a matchbox and out buzzed a fly. Whoosh! Whoosh! When his sword and the fly dropped dead on the ground in four small pieces. The emperor exclaimed, that is really very impressive. Now the emperor turned to the Jewish samurai. The Jewish samurai also opened a matchbox and out flew a gnat. The flashing sword went whoosh, but the gnat was still alive, flying around. The emperor, obviously disappointed, asked, why is the gnat not dead? The Jewish samurai just smiled and said, circumcision is not meant to kill. That was the old Jewish Joke of the Week special feature of Two Jewish, just for you. You should live and be well. And now a word of Torah. This week's portion of Toldot includes the treachery of Jacob and the foolishness of Esau, famous story of brotherly rivalry that sets in motion this central tale in Genesis. 
It's a story of twins who are anything but fraternal in their interactions. Jacob loves tents, it says. He's a homebody. His mother loves him. Esau is a hunter and outdoorsman, a man active in the extreme, more or less devoid of thought. In our weekly portion, Jacob fools his family twice. First, he cons the hungry Esau into selling his birthright, his inheritance for a bowl of lentil porridge. Then at the instigation of his mother Rebekah, Jacob fools his father Isaac into giving him the principal blessing, the spiritual heritage of the leadership of the people who will someday be known as Israel. Why is it that Jacob is the one who will become the true father of our people? He is clever and verbal, cerebral, but he lacks basic moral qualities we should find critical in a patriarch. But Esau, too, is no bargain. All physical exertion and emotional outburst, instinctive but unreflective, all id to Jacob's superego. In fact, it's through both of them that the great story of God's oneness is carried forward. Through both of them, for all their flaws, God finds a way to work for the future and for destiny. The message is complex but powerful. The truth is we are all both Jacob and Esau, partly thoughtful, partly instinctive. We, each of us, are also twins in this sense. We can act with deliberation and care or forcefully and without judgment. And we all have the capacity to be either ethical or unethical. In that dichotomy lies our innate humanity. And in the persons of Esau and Jacob, we can see ourselves and learn that it's only through God's providence that we truly find our own promised land. When we come back in a moment, our guest this morning, Lynn Galadner, podcaster, publisher, and formerly a member of an ultra-Orthodox community herself, has written a novel about becoming Orthodox and leaving it, too. It's called Woman of Valor. Hear all about it when we return in a moment on Too Jewish. We continue with our Too Jewish update on news of Jews around the world with commentary. It's getting ugly out there. In Thousand Oaks, California, a 69-year-old man rallying in support of Israel was struck on the head by a pro-Palestinian 50-year-old man holding a metal megaphone. He fell and died. Paul Kessler was killed in the altercation. The man who struck him from Moore Park, California, was detained and interviewed by police, but not yet arrested. So far as we know, the man with the megaphone attended a counter-demonstration held to support Palestinian terrorists and used his megaphone to blast his message in the ears of the pro-Israel gathering. He was told to back off, and at some point he struck Kessler on the face or head. Kessler fell backward, struck his head on the ground, and died. Police are cautioning people not to jump to conclusions, but these do seem to be the basic facts. Whether the blow from the megaphone or the fall killed the pro-Israel rally attendee is still to be determined. But he's dead, and it seems clear it was from pro-Palestinian violence. In Holland, reports of anti-Semitic incidents have spiked 800% since October 7th in the Netherlands, a leading Dutch-Jewish watchdog reported. The surge reflects anti-Semitic acts reported to the Center for Information and Documentation on Israel, CIDI, CD, 
but it does not include all incidents filed to police departments and other anti-discrimination bureaus. CD would not release specific incident numbers, but said the barrage of reports it's received since the start of the Israel-Hamas war is 818% higher than its monthly average recorded in the past three years. The group tallied 183 total incidents in all of 2021. It's very worrying that Jews in the Netherlands are held responsible for conflicts taking place in the Middle East, read the report released last week. It seems as if Israel is being used to beat Jews. According to CD researcher and policy advisor Hans Wallage, it's not only the numbers that have grown, it's the range of attacks on Jews that has increased too. I see way more variety of different incidents I didn't see before, and also more variety in the place where it happens. Wallach said, there are a lot of schools, elementary, high schools, universities, having more incidents that I didn't see before the 7th of October. In one school, a Jewish boy was threatened with a knife and hit on the head with a bottle, while classmates called him Kunkerjud, a Dutch slur meaning cancer Jew. Another boy was told his classmates would throw him off a bridge and drown him because he was Jewish. Recurring reports describe students being accosted for wearing Star of David necklaces and being shown the Hitler salute and told that Hitler didn't finish his job. Wallage believes the rash of school incidents has to do with social media, which gives kids unprecedentedly rapid and unchecked access to hate speech, conspiracy theories, and incitement. We don't have a filter as adults sometimes, but children completely don't have a filter of what to share. They share everything, he said. What's a lie? After a while, if you read it all the time and share videos all the time online, it's going from the online world to the real-life world, whether or not it's true. Most of the conspiracy theories circulating through Dutch schools follow old anti-Semitic tropes, simply repackaged for a younger generation, said CD director Naomi Mestrom. It's the same conspiracy theories, she said. Jews control the world and the media, and this Hamas attack must be fake. They staged it because it fits their agenda. Outside of schools, CD has recorded mezuzahs torn off doors, swastikas sprayed on windows, along with frequent threats and verbal abuse in Holland. General anti-Semitic statements on social media are excluded from these figures unless they were specifically sent to an individual. Shortly before October 7th, the only Jewish weekly news magazine in the Netherlands, New Israelitische Wikblad, the Dutch Jewish Weekly, switched from its clear plastic packaging to anonymous white envelopes, according to its editor-in-chief, Esther Vert. She said that her staff was flooded with calls from anxious subscribers who didn't want their neighbors to know that they were Jewish. Although it's typical for anti-Semitism to flare up in the Netherlands during conflicts in Israel and the Palestinian territories, CD researchers said they have never seen a surge of incidents like this before. And like other Jewish communities across Europe, many Dutch Jews feel they are in new territory. People feel that it's different now and it will be forever different from now on. In New York, the NYPD reported 69 anti-Semitic hate crimes in October, a major increase in anti-Jewish incidents in the city following Hamas's October 7th invasion of Israel and Israel's ensuing war against the terrorist group. The number of anti-Semitic crimes in October was a 214% increase over the previous year of the same month. 
The total was far higher than in any other month in this year, 2023. The previous high water mark was March, which had 32 anti-Semitic incidents reported to police, less than half of October's number. October's tally of New York anti-Jewish crimes was the highest single month total since October of 2021, when hate crimes against all groups spiked, in which anti-Jewish crimes were a smaller proportion of the total. There were 101 total hate crimes reported to New York police last month, including eight anti-Muslim incidents. Hate crimes overall had been trending downward. Mind you, police are decrying anti-Semitic acts and anti-Muslim acts as though they were occurring at the same rate. In New York, at least, the actual rate last month was nine times higher for anti-Semitic acts. In some of these anti-Jewish incidents, three Jewish men were shot with a BB gun in Brooklyn. An Israeli student was struck with a stick at Columbia University. And a man punched a woman in a Manhattan subway station, saying it was because she was Jewish. Other incidents have included racist and threatening graffiti. Some of the incidents related directly to the war. For example, Jewish groups receiving threats related to Israel's conduct. According to the Community Security Initiative, which coordinates security for Jewish institutions throughout the New York City area. Since the start of the year, there have been 232 anti-Semitic hate crimes in New York City, an incident once every 31 hours, according to the NYPD. Jewish security groups say many incidents likely go unreported. And in Washington, D.C., as Cornell student Amanda Silberstein testified to the U.S. House of Representatives about how a student at her university threatened to kill and rape Jewish students, she was interrupted by pro-Hamas demonstrators. Free Palestine, a protester shouted from the audience during Silberstein's testimony at a hearing on free speech and anti-Semitism on college campuses. Anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. Well, it is. Silberstein is an undergraduate at Cornell, where a student was recently arrested for making anti-Semitic death threats. Silberstein, a member of the student board of Cornell's Chabad, had just described how professors and student organizations have been fueling Jew hatred and spreading it across campus with disregard or potentially even with deliberate intent to incite. It was one of several times when pro-Palestinian terrorist protesters interrupted witnesses at the House Judiciary Committee hearing, which was titled Free Speech on College Campuses. Throughout the more than three-hour hearing, they called for a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip, decried supposed silencing of Palestinian students on campus, which is not happening, and protested the recent House censure of Michigan Democratic Rep. Rashida Tlaib, a Palestinian-American, for using the pro-Palestinian and anti-Semitic phrase, from the river to the sea. This was not the first time in recent days when pro-Palestinian protesters disrupted congressional proceedings. Last week, hecklers also tried to derail U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken as he implored Congress to allocate emergency funds for Israel. But the dissonance of the moment, Silberstein, unlike Blinken, was not using testimony to advocate for Israel, exemplified the virulent anti-Semitism of these pro-Palestinian terrorist leftists as Republicans and Democrats alike openly pondered the question of whether and how speech about Israel and Jews should be policed on campus and in the House. I happen to believe in the eradication of Hamas. The same freedom of speech that protects my right to advocate that position is at stake here, is it not? California Republican Rep. Tom McClintock said at one point to Kenneth Marcus, 
Witness, who served in the Trump administration's education department and chairs the Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law, pro-Israel group that has repeatedly brought legal challenges against universities that fail to properly discipline anti-Zionist and anti-Semitic speech. Marcus is a past guest of Too Jewish. The hearing largely centered on anti-Semitism on campus and beyond as student and faculty rhetoric around Israel has reached a fever pitch. Silberstein had been invited to testify in part because Cornell recently canceled classes for a day because of those threats against its Jewish students. That incident followed a professor at Cornell publicly praising the Hamas attacks, turning the school into a flashpoint for the rising temperature around anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist speech on campus. Of course, Ivy League schools have been a hotbed of anti-Semitic campaigns for the last month, including pro-Hamas Palestinian terrorist student groups at Harvard, Penn, and Yale, releasing anti-Semitic and pro-terror messages and advocating violent protests. Also in the House of Representatives, the vile Matt Getz, he of the underage trafficking charges, an election denier and a conspiracy theorist of the George Soros controls the world anti-Semitic variety, Matt Getz spoke against controlling pro-Hamas Palestinian terrorist advocacy in the name of free speech. Who was it? Oliver Wendell Holmes, in a Supreme Court decision over 100 years ago, who said, My right to free speech does not extend to shouting fire in a crowded theater. While later limited in a 1969 Supreme Court case, Holmes' statement was construed as still applying by the Supreme Court, where such advocacy is directed to inciting and producing imminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such action. Well, my friends, those actions are taking place on college campuses and all around America and certainly around the world right now. Time to stop it. And that's the Two Jewish News of Jews around the world. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. 
to speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome back to Two Jewish, our guest this morning. Lynn Galadner is an author of, I guess, six books is what I read? Nine books. Nine books. Wow. Okay. That's a lot more. Um, a writing coach, a marketing expert, a publisher with her own uh, publishing company, and the author of a new book, Woman of Valor, uh, which, of course, comes from the Hebrew Eshet Chayil, a passage that's chanted traditionally. It's from the end of Proverbs Mishle um, every Friday night in Orthodox homes. Not, not so much, maybe sometimes in conservative Jewish homes, but not so much really across the Jewish spectrum. Um, tell us about the title a little bit. Yeah. So actually, in my first marriage, my ex-husband sang Woman of Valor to me every Friday night, and it was very special. I had never heard it when I was raised reform and really haven't heard it since. And I liked the double entendre. So it's a literal meaning, obviously, from the you know passage and the way that it is shared in homes. But also, it really means a strong woman. And so I wanted to get at that double meaning in the title. You were raised reform. Uh, you willing to share like which congregation whereabouts? <laughs> speaking yeah, yeah, speaking yeah. as a reform rabbi, a conservative cantor, and uh, somebody who went to Orthodox day school for a couple of years, I'm kind of pan-Judaic here. So. You're just Jewish, just like me. <laughs> yeah, very Jewish anyway. I don't think just. <laughs> um, me too as well. It's very important to my identity. I was raised at Temple Israel in West Bloomfield, Michigan. Okay. And um, have very fond memories of my childhood there. Quite, quite a uh, a major synagogue, West Bloomfield and Bloomfield Hills, big Jewish suburb. Yeah. Your own course towards orthodoxy, which which obviously ended, and then you uh, went a different went different directions. How close does this parallel your own experience? Not very. Um, I didn't live in this religious of a community. I was in more of a modern Orthodox community. Uh And I had friends who observed the way Sally does, but it wasn't how I did. And so I actually did a lot of research for this book. I wanted it to be relatable. I wanted it to be authentic. Also, she's a runner and I'm not. And I wanted to make sure that she was doing it modestly and wearing things that Orthodox Jewish runners would wear. Um, so there's a lot of research that went into uh, building her character. As a, a former runner back in the days when my body let me run, um, you know, the way you describe it is uh, very lyrical. I, I, you know, I ran so that I could eat or drink anything I wanted as opposed to like loving it. She clearly loves it. There's an interesting passage in the book where you talk about even a little wisp of her hair is problematic for her husband. It's pretty controlling, right? Well, I guess it could be read that way. What my experience was in the Orthodox world was that husbands did have opinions about how their wives would observe. And that was something that was talked about before people got married to make sure they were on the same page. So, you know, I think, yes, it could come across that way. But honestly, from the first date, which is described in the book, too, he's really clear on what he expects. And it's up to her to say, yeah, I'm in, or no, it doesn't work for me. And, and it, she appreciates that clarity after the great ambiguity of dating and earlier experiences in the book. You, you spend a good amount of time exploring like what it's actually like to be a married Orthodox wife, the rules of the mikvah, separate beds, a lot of stuff. Is this equally true of modern Orthodox Jews? 
I think so. I think one thing that I learned when I was Orthodox was that everybody picks and chooses what they observe and how they observe it. And everybody has a reason for what they do or don't do. So I think there's just so many different nuances in everyday life that are impacted by Jewish observance. And people have to tell themselves a story of why they're going in one direction or another. I do think that this is pretty universal. It's just that the result or the outcome or how people observe definitely differs from person to person. Again, I don't want to give away too much of the novel, but there's difficulties in the marriage. There's difficulties in every marriage, aren't there? You know, there really aren't any difficulties until their son experiences abuse at school. Right. And so that's pretty remarkable in and of itself, because I think most marriages in the early years have difficulties and then they learn how to be married and, and work them out. But they really face this crisis seven, eight years into their marriage, and they have to navigate that and, and figure out how to move forward. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think that that's part of the suspense, too, like what will happen and how will each of them respond and, and make choices about their relationship. So you mentioned the abuse section and the difficulty in dealing with it. Look, Orthodox communities do not have a great reputation, uh, at least ultra-Orthodox communities, for protecting children in these circumstances. It doesn't turn out terribly well in the book either. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? A lot of communities are very closed off, Uh, more religious communities, especially, you know, Orthodox, but in other religions too, isolate themselves and don't want interference from the outside world. And I definitely found that in the Orthodox world that um, we take care of our own problems. We keep it between ourselves. We don't want the outside world to see anything negative about us. And I understand why. There's already enough negativity about communities we don't understand. And we don't want to add to that. I think it's real. I think one of the things I used to say when I was religious was don't confuse Jews with Judaism. So people can mess things up. But Judaism is beautiful. And there's richness and wisdom in the traditions and the text and in the rituals. And so I think people don't always know how to respond well in situations and they become self-protective when there's a threat from within or from without. And I think Sally is seen as both. I think she's a threat to the community, but also because she came from the outside. And I really feel like in my experience, Bali Chuva, people who become religious are accepted and welcomed, but there's always a little hesitation because it's like, well, will they stay? Is this real or will they leave? And so can we trust their religiosity? Which is a shame because Bali Chuva are some of the most religious people I've ever met. But I do think that factors into it too. Some of the details are very interesting. The part about the onions making a salad non-kosher, I'm sorry, I have to ask about that. Can you explain that? <laughs> yes, yes. And the, my proofreader who isn't Jewish, was like, onions aren't kosher? I'm like, no, 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 onions are kosher. But what I was taught in the way I kept kosher is that um, sharp foods like onions, peppers, garlic, things that are um, really sharp flavors can take on the quality of the knife they're cut with. And so a lot of Orthodox Jews have parev knives and they'll use them for, for these sharp things so that it neither becomes dairy nor meat. And so if you were to cut an onion with a meat knife, it's now... Now fleshig. And if you yeah. cut it with a milchik knife, it's now yeah. milchik. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, look, my wife continually teaches me extra stuff about kashrut that I wish I didn't know. Um, <laughs> I, 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 and I'm the one who does most of the cooking, and it's like, oh, you can't. What, what was that again? You fish and meat well, she's, can't be she's served. Your in, yeah, she's my mashkicha. Um, coming from the Orthodox community that you did. What what do you want your your friends from that community to take out of Women of Valor? I want them to say this was a beautifully written book and I enjoyed the story. And people who knew me well will know this is not me. I will tell you, my kids have told me that people in that community have asked my ex-husband if this book is about him. Yeah. So he then asked my kids, is your mom's book about me? And my daughter said, not everything's about you, Dad. But um, <laughs> that sounds like my daughter him. talking to me. But okay, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, it's not about him. It's not about me. It's not about that community. I don't recall a scandal of abuse in the day schools where my kids went. So it's Th- not thank based God. on a you know. yeah, yeah. It's not based on anything real. Just the fact that it happened. And um, so my intention is not to in any way cast aspersions on Orthodox Judaism. It's just to show the very real multifaceted way of being human. And I think this is not just germane to an Orthodox community or religious community. It's it's everywhere. I want to thank Lynn Gallander for a great visit. We didn't even get to talk about your podcast or so many other things. We'll have to get you back. Where can people go to find out more about you and to find out more about Women of Valor, uh, a book I I think is absolutely worth reading. Thank you so much for having me. Um, my website is limgaladner.com. You can find all the things there. The podcast, the Make Meaning podcast is everywhere you find your podcast. And Woman of Valor is available for purchase on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, anywhere you would get your books. And I hope you will buy it and read it. And let me know what you think. Thank you so much. Thanks when, for having me. When we come back on Two Jewish, we'll hear about next week's guest, get a final musical play out. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki Tribe. Thanks for being here with us this morning on Too Jewish with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Join us next week. Our guest will be Susan Blumberg Kaysen, author of Bernadine Shanghai Salon, the story of the Doyen of old China. Please join us at Congregation Beit Simcha each Friday night for services in Onig Shabbat at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning, too, 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. services, Torah reading in Kiddush, live in person and on our Facebook page. Our play out this morning comes from Israeli singer Eliad Malki. His song with Shiloh, Al Hachalot. My friends, may you have a Shavua Tov, a good week, a healthy week, and a week we pray profoundly of justice. <laughs> אז בואי לתמימות, כי אם כבר למות, אז רק מאהבה. מה קורה איתך היום? אני חושב אם לפעמים גם את חושבת עליי. אההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההה
Sponsored by two Jewish radio programs, Tucson, Arizona.